watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have three movies. Detroit, An Inconvenient Sequel, and Step. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. What a mess it is. Oof, messier by the day. So, a messier in the time between when we record the episode and when we post the episode. Things, mm-hmm. There's a lot of messiness that happens. Yeah, guys, you may have noticed that uh, last week's episode fell victim to what I call the Rachel Maddow trap. Uh, in mm. which the news changed so significantly within just mere moments of us posting our episode that it rendered what we said irrelevant. Yeah, I came home from uh, recording and then I watched the um, skinny, the skinny uh, mm-hmm. healthcare bill fail. Yes. Um, but, you know, all that tension in between. And, like, that was a new story that d- didn't even exist when we recorded the podcast the night before. It didn't. You know, the mooch was barely a thing. The mooch was in the his mooch. infancy whenever uh, we recorded oh, that episode. Oh, he was still, uh, yeah, he had just yeah, um, kind of gone off the rails. I think, you know, like, the, that we, we recorded the day of, of the cock-sucking quotes emerging. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Priebus was still in whenever we recorded mm-hmm. the episode. Yeah. Uh, things, that was an eventful Friday. That really was. <laughs> Um, but so yeah, so uh, everything's a terrible mess. What's up with you, Jason? Well, thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. Um, I have attempted uh, to uh, counter the terrible mess of the world by trying to control myself in the form of a new diet. Oh, yes, and I know you you're can't not control s- anything else. Then get an eating disorder. Start an eating disorder. That's what I've always really, said. Those things. That's how that happens. That's how that does happen. Uh, and it's happening to me now. So. Uh, I have never, I know you're not supposed to call them diets. They're supposed to be like a lifestyle change because diet suggests it's a temporary fix. Or diet is what you always eat. Like right. your diet is every is whatever it is. That's true. I've never thought of it that way, Rebecca. That's what I'm here for. Thank you for that perspective on mm-hmm. the word diet. But I, I guess I never think of it that way. I think of it, you know, diet is a temporary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but you're right. I'm trying to make my usual diet into this new diet. And what diet is that you might ask? It's Nobody's called... asked. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, and I can't, like, I, I, I hate being this girl, believe me. Um, but, you know, it's been, so I'm doing this this thing called the ketogenic diet, which is um, this thing. Who's she? Um, which is, what did you call me? <laughs> and which is this thing where it's basically, people think of it as like Atkins on steroids. I've had two separate friends who don't know each other, who live in different parts of the country, both show up into my life suddenly super thin. And they credited mm. this diet. And they so were like, like, it's all the Kato Kalen diet. You're yeah. Like, yeah. And I I'm just like, I'm and... like, I always thought he was cute. So <laughs> if it worked for him, I'll try it too. And uh, so it's been, I'm, I'm in my first week of it. And so if I come across it all loopy or lightheaded during this episode, that is why mm. my body is gradually dying its, to its old self and being born anew and as a carb-free being. Ah, you're putting the dye in diet. I am. I am. Uh, I'm die hard uh, on, the, on the diet. See, when, you, when your brain doesn't have carbs anymore, you make dumb jokes because you don't have wit. Like I haven't had a to. carb like, in two never... years. You can explain why I say nothing of substance. <laughs> Um, yeah, Rebecca is just like, she, she definitely has been going really hard on diet stuff for a long time. And, um, <laughs> thanks. Everybody and, knows that now. And, uh, well, you just said it, you just said you haven't had a carb in two years. That is, uh, well, that's a lie, but yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, you, you're, you're good. You're good about it. You mm-hmm. care. 
Uh, you're like, I don't like I did eat like, like my weight in like popcorn it. two days ago when we were at the movies. <laughs> That's true. She made the mistake of, uh, of ordering a giant popcorn while I'm while I'm ketoing. Yeah, I'm and, sorry. You, you, uh, I'm like, you I don't need, I'm like, I don't eat that stuff. I'm sorry. And what did I have to order? Deviled eggs, guys. Deviled eggs are great. I was like, what do I eat in a movie theater now? Oh, what's that? A vodka soda and deviled eggs? <laughs> the, cool. the two vodka I guess sodas I guess that I'm came Russian with the deviled now. eggs were... <laughs> yeah. I mean, They're when, thin people. They are. And, and I'm going to try to emulate that, I guess. Uh, so, but now what I do is I go around and I say things when I'm ordering food that make me want to hit myself really hard. Okay. Like not once, but twice in this past week, have I gone to a taqueria and had to say something very embarrassing that confused the person who works there. Like? I'm like, hi, could I just get chicken with guacamole and cheese? And they're like, with rice and beans? I'm like, No. And they're like, with a tortilla. I'm like, no. Do you feel like As if you taco? get it on the plate, then you'll be tempted to eat it? Well, yeah, of course. Because you can get the taco and then just eat it I don't it want to waste the, the food. I don't want to oh, waste yeah, the that's food. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's also that aspect yeah. I never think that's of. The main, that's, that's the main just thing I would think throw of. throw it away. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I don't want to waste the food. Um, and also, yeah, I'm sure I'd be tempted. Like, I tried eating this um, this ready-made meal Scott had the other day that was like, some sort of sausage pasta dish. And I'm like, okay, I can totally just eat like the sausage and cheese off of this and not touch the pasta. I ate half the pasta. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, if it's half, that's okay. Right. Um, so anyway, so now I'm that person who goes around just like befuddling Takari employees and so they just like mutter about white people under their breath after I leave. No more than usual, I'm sure. But now for a different reason. <laughs> and the other day I had my very first experience being that girl who walks up to the burger counter and says, no bun, please. Oh, did you get it in a lettuce wrap? Oh, it felt bad. Oh, it felt so bad. Left a bad taste in my mouth. It did to have to say that. No, I didn't have it wrapped in lettuce. I just ate. I just it, it came with a side salad. So with wanted, a fork and stuff. Yeah, I just ate it with a fork. Here's the thing. Um, let me let you in on a little secret. Oh. Um, the people at the burgers uh, store and at the taqueria don't give a fuck about you or what you're eating. <laughs> they couldn't give a shit. As long as you explain it clearly, you say exactly what you want, they don't they do not care. Tell it to the looks of confusion that I got at both of those taquerias. Looks of just straight like what? Just say it with confidence. Just be like, yeah, I need the burger, no bun, um, and uh six orders See, of fries. Thanks. Rebecca, I don't have your swagger. You know this. <laughs> I can't just walk in there, throw my dick on the table and be like <laughs> oh, Gimme this the way you always do. <laughs> yeah, that's me. So, you um, know, it's uh so it's 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 a new journey. And maybe that uh, maybe you'll get there. And um, I'm I'm working toward it every day. Um, well, I'm very excited for you. Yes. I think that um, it's always fun to uh, try something new, and um, you know, it's a good time. It's uh, hot as hell outside, so mm-hmm. who wants to eat like heavy food when it's hot? <laughs> Except for that's all you eat on this diet because that's all fat. That's true. <laughs> yeah, but it's like you know meat fats, which is like only a lot more temperate. You know, hot cultures are heavy <laughs> always, meat cultures. I've always found meat fat to be temperate. <laughs> Rebecca Alarte, 2017. <laughs> Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to support you. I'm just trying to support you. Thank you. I appreciate your support. And I think that, you know, when we look at the the subject matters and the three films we're going to talk about today, my struggles will really seem as heroic Mm. as I think they are. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which brings us to the first movie of the week, which is Detroit. In the summer of 1967, rioting and civil unrest starts to tear apart the city of Detroit. Two days later, a report of gunshots prompts the Detroit Police Department, the Michigan State Police, and the Michigan Army National Guard to search and seize an annex of the nearby Algiers Motel. Several policemen start to flout procedure by forcefully and viciously interrogating guests to get a confession. By the end of the night, three unarmed men are gunned down while several others are brutally beaten. 
It's a war zone out there. They're destroying the city. I'm trying to help here. Don't say another word. Come on. I told you what I saw. What is going on here? It's not that simple. I know exactly who you are. Unfortunately, I was not able to see this movie this week. I feel like this is the first one in a long time where I've really regretted uh, having to miss it. Um, <laughs> Usually you're overjoyed. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'll sign with excellent. Jason, sign me up. <laughs> um, but this one, you know, it's um, uh, there's a bit of controversy about it, um, but it looks um, incredibly tense and incredibly interesting. We have uh, the newest movie by writer-director from The Hurt Locker um, and Zero Doc 30, Catherine Bigelow. Well, she's the director, and the writer is Mark Bull, who wrote both of those movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jason, does it have the same uh, tension, and uh, is it as anxiety-driving um, as those other two? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that you can, you can feel Bigelow's kind of... She just has a way with a very muscular, visceral... Uh, kind of cinematic storytelling mm-hmm. uh, that really puts you right in the center of a mm-hmm. of a place that you don't want to be, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. you're there anyway. And uh, but you know you you feel her sort of master uh, craftsmanship behind it, which is you know I guess in some way reassuring. At least you know you're in Bigelow's hands, and that uh, and that you know so she's going to take you through uh, this tour of hell that uh, that you're about to uh, uh, endure. Uh, I would think that this is. Out of all the films, out of the, la- the these last three films of hers, the sequence, the sequence in this in Detroit, that is its centerpiece, which is the extended uh, interrogation of some suspects in a motel's manor house, which is the thing that I didn't even know existed. What's, uh, what's, a, what's a motel's manor house? Yeah, so there they they go to this motel, the Algier Motel. And then there is, uh, or the Algiers Motel. And then the when they go to check in, um, first of all, the um, the clerk is played in a cameo by Samira Wiley. Oh. And unfortunately, you're in her only scene. Mm. Um, and she's like, oh, everything's rented. We can give you a spot in the manor house. And the manor house is basically almost like this, like, kind of like a dingbat, like an apartment building. This is like kind of in the back of the motel. Hmm. So anyway, so which which is um, which makes it it looks it doesn't look like it's happening in a motel. It looks mm-hmm. like it's happening in just like a big house with a lot of rooms in it. Um, so this this a centerpiece interrogation um, is is extremely difficult to sit through. Um, it's very punishing. And, uh, and unsparing and unflinching. And, you know, you are just watching people just brought to their absolute low. You're watching lows across the board. You're watching the victims of it are being, are being you know, dehumanized to mm-hmm. a horrifying degree. And you're seeing the absolute worst of human nature play out in their captors, in the police officers who are holding them there. And uh, so, yeah, it's extremely, you know, I mean, in Zero Dark Thirty, she was criticized for her depiction of torture, which I always thought was bullshit. Mm. Because I, as she very astutely responded to that, clearly Harvey Weinstein created a controversy uh, that, you know, depiction is not uh, condoning. Mm, to depict mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. is not to condone it. Absolutely. And for people to imply that Zero Dark Thirty was like condoning torture is absurd. Mm. Um, so and uh, but, you know, in this film, she once again goes there, you know, like she has she she has said repeatedly in recent interviews that this whole sort of second wave of her career uh, you know, because she started off doing these genre movies, mm-hmm. like, you know, Near Dark and Point Break and Strange Days. 
And now she's a lot more interested in being like a journalistic filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so she really is not interested in the bells and whistles. She just wants to make you experience being there. And sometimes at the end of it, you could just kind of be like, okay, well, what, okay, I just went through that, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like for what, but you know, she really believes that like to viscerally experience these things is a beneficial thing for audiences. Um, as uh, a white male, um, mm-hmm. and who told <laughs> everybody? <knows. laughs> um, do you feel like this gave you some uh, further insight into uh, the black experience in America? Um, I mean, I think that uh, you know, it, it, there's sort of like an animated prologue that try that does in a few little slides tries to explain uh, why there is um, black tension in major urban areas. It basically talks about like the mass um, migration um, from the South uh, in, of, uh, of, of black Americans into cities on the North looking mm-hmm. for jobs, looking for, you know, less uh, oppression, discrimination. And then the white flight that occurred mm-hmm. so that so many urban areas were, were just, you know, left, you know, predominantly black. And then, you know, this antagonistic relationship with the police that would, that would go down. Uh, so, you know, it contextualizes that to explain, like, why would this, why did the Detroit Rebellion pop off the way that it did? Mm-hmm. Because the thing that uh, that gets it going is relatively minor. It's a police raid of a, of a speakeasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the sort of inciting event that kicked off all of this. Um, I guess, you know, apparently some people would call it a riot. I guess their preferred term is rebellion mm-hmm. um, because, you know, riot is sort of a, a, is a, is a term that suggests you know, violence and, and, uh, and aggression without any regard for like a point or a purpose. And this being more of like a, we've had enough and we're going to rebel. Mm-hmm. Um, so it also kind of plays out like a realistic racist version of law and order where, <laughs> where first we, we oh, see boy. the, first we see the failure of the law and then we see the failure of the order. Mm. Uh, because, you know, first we have, uh, you know, these, um, we watch these, these members of the tr- Detroit PD, uh, behave in this extremely appalling manner and then we see it go into the courts and we see uh you know this sort of like ginned up attempt to first pin the killings of these three unarmed black men on a black security guard oh wow uh who is played in the film by john boyega from star wars the force awakens mm-hmm. um and he is um he's he's a controversial figure in real life because there are conflicting accounts on whether he actually um, participate in the beating, or if he was just there. Um, this is. This oh, is... I thought you meant John Boyega. I was like, wait a minute, he's not that old. <laughs> no. Um, and which is, I think, with every single thing depicted in this movie, um, you know, a lot of it comes with a grain of salt because there are vastly varying accounts from almost everyone involved with this. Mm. And Mark Bowl was tasked with sort of just doing his best based on his research, based on interviews, to create. Um, a cohesive narrative that seemed to be true to what happened that night. Um, but there's a lot that is dramatized by necessity just because there's no one definitive version of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so we see in the investigation, we see, um, you know, the pinning of, you know, the attempted pinning on this black security guard who was there trying to like keep the peace. Uh, and then ultimately, and this is no great spoiler, uh, you know, no one's convicted mm-hmm. uh, for this. So, and, and yeah, these things have changed. Yeah, you know, it's nice to look back and be like, we've come far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, and that is what ultimately inspired Catherine Bigelow and Mark Bull to tell this story. Um, you know, was uh, you know everything that has been happening over the last few years with the rise in police shootings of unarmed black men, and and uh, so they were intrigued to go back and tell this chapter of history. The rise of the media coverage of the rise black of the media men. coverage of it. 
and uh, so it's uh, it's not an easy movie to watch. But so do you? How do you, do you feel like? I mean, you are already pretty aware of um, you know what's going on. You're you're very um, uh, up to date on these things. But do you feel like it Flattering. helped you? I mean, saying that like. If it gives you that zero dark 30, if it gives you that hurt locker feeling of like, what does it feel like to be in this suit and going to like, you know, disable a bomb in the middle of, a, you know, a hot uh, city, um, you know, you felt like you were there and you were like, hey, don't pull the wrong wire. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel, do, is there a way that this movie gives you empathy into these, um, these, these, these black guys um, who were brutalized in this hotel? Um, I mean, it definitely makes you feel the fear and terror of having guns pointed at you for hours on end mm-hmm. while people yell horrible things at you. Um, that, uh, that I believe is a universal uh, fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the, the, the unfortunate thing about the... There, so there's a triggering event that leads to the raid of this manor house and all of the ensuing beating. And that is... And this is another piece of history that is not um, concrete. But the way it's dramatized in this film, one of the characters who is in this house uh, has a toy gun, and it looks like a real gun. It basically, it's like it shoots blanks. It's like a mm-hmm. gun that shoots blanks. So it sounds like a real gun, but it's not a real gun. And um, and he is sort of reenacting. He's basically doing this. Um, he's doing a sort of a little uh, uh, demonstration for these two white girls who are also there in the manor house uh, around what it's like to be black in Detroit and to be black around police officers. And, um, and then at one point he just gets, you know, he's looking out the window and he sees like all these police officers in the streets. And so he, um, and he's feeling, you know, I think he'd been, he'd been drinking and he was feeling, you know, feeling the rebellion. And so he was like, I will make them know what it feels like to be black. And so then he puts the gun out the window and starts firing at them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the police officers we've had established very firmly are terrified of snipers. Um, there have been a lot of reports that there are snipers throughout the city that are trying to go and pick off police officers. And so, um, so he shoots multiple times from this window. And they're like, what are you doing? And he's like, they'll never know what's coming from here, which is silly. Um, and uh, so, it's, it's, it, so when you watch that, you're like, that you're being stupid. You're being stupid. Just you know, for the for your own safety, you're being stupid. You are you are you are drawing. This is in any situation. Anyone who had a gun and was pointing at police officers and firing it, even if it did not have bullets in it, would get shot. Mm. That's just what would happen. Uh, and it does not justify the nothing that happens is justified whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Them coming and investigating the house, sure, is justified. And then that's the thing is that um, so they when they get there, they kill that guy first. And they don't even know he's the one who was shooting. He's just the first one they see, and they kill him right away. Mm. And then, but no one will tell them anything. So they're like, "Who who was shooting?" And they no one will say anything. And I'm like, and I'm like in my like white boy brain, I'm like, just tell them they already got him, and 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 maybe they'll leave. Mm. Uh, but no one will. No one wants to cooperate, and so they won't tell the police anything. And so no one says, "Oh, it was him, the guy you already killed. He was the one who was shooting." And, you know, and they're like, well, where's the gun? Where's the gun? And no one can ever find the gun. The gun's nowhere. And so that's basically mm-hmm. the point of what they what they want to know is who was shooting? Where's the gun? So those are the two questions that they're attempting to answer through extremely, you know, aggressive, violent, mm-hmm. awful means. And ultimately it leads to two more people being killed, um, two more uh, unarmed black men being killed before the night's through. So you're saying that uh, that part of the story, which is possibly dramatized, um, is a barrier to you feeling like 
these these victims were innocent. So the, no. the movie sets you up in this way where you're like, well, you could have done it this way. And No, I'm not saying it's a barrier to them because I think that, I mean, I think that the guy who fired a gun at the police officers, like, yeah, like that's an offense. Like you're not innocent if you fire a gun at police officers. Mm-hmm. That's not a thing you should, you should be killed for. Absolutely not. Do they handle it correctly? No. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying that if you are, you know, what he did, there's just no... Aside from some romantic sense of like rebellion and fighting back, aside from that, there's just no justification for that. So I guess where I'm coming from is that like this movie has had some criticism almost in the way that like, you know, a lot of movies about slavery would where it's this like, you know, extremely violent, visceral, um, you know, triggering uh, abuse of of black Americans. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, these things can exist and they need to exist in some ways because uh, you need to show the world what's happening. Um, and it's not, you know, as, you know, as long as it's not gratuitous and, and mm-hmm. it's being helpful. But I'm, I feel like if this isn't, you know, hard and fact truth and it's adding it to the story, it's it's removing that ability to justify having this um, intense violence uh, because you're you don't you kind of think that they could have done things differently and better. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, and there was there is at least one person who was there who said that that is what happened. But there's only from what I was reading today, there's just one account that said that this this person was had a toy gun that he fired out the window. Mm. Um, you know, so uh, that is everything that they have in this movie is based on some factor or another. It's just a matter of consensus and a matter of mm-hmm. differing stories. So, um, you know, I think that they, the film is ultimately, of course, fully and entirely sympathetic to the victims of all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not attempting to make them look bad in any way. You know, it's just showing that their, their exhaustion, their exasperation, and ultimately what that man did um, in the movie and possibly in real life was harmless in the sense that no one was harmed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, tri- you know, it, it did not, it triggered what followed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and which is, again, is not to say that what followed was justified or equal in any way, but it was triggered. They would not have gone into the manor house of the Algiers motel if it had not been for these, these, these blanks being shot from the window. Interesting. Um, so we have uh, John Boyega. Who else do we have here? Uh, we have Anthony Mackey. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have so the the so there there's a we have actually we have John Krasinski playing uh, an evil racist white lawyer in oh, the film's good. in the film's final act. Does which he is, stare at the camera a lot and just kind of like? Uh, no, he doesn't. He doesn't gym it. He does Damn, not gym okay. it this time. Um, it's really interesting to see him play this kind of just like objectively awful role. Great comeback from thirteen yeah, hours. Yeah, he looks a little doughy too. I'll tell you, but <gasps> um, so and I'm one to talk, but you know, keto so. Um, so yeah, this is not, this is not like a star studded movie. We also have, um, we have Gilly from Game of Thrones who plays one of the two young white women who is, I thought you were going to say Gilly from Saturday Night Live. Yes. She really is a real mischief maker in this movie. (laughs) Um, no, Gilly from Game of Thrones plays one of the two because for the majority of the interrogation, there are two young white women who are there who are being brutalized and knocked up against the wall and along with everyone else. And a little trigger for everybody. Yeah, exactly. A little something for everyone. So, but no, this is ultimately, it's not, this is not like a star power movie the main evil cop is played by an actor named will poulter and when they talk about punchable faces and when they Mm. talk about evil faces this guy is right in the middle of that concentric circle he's a stephen miller of uh he has like so you know and this movie does do that thing where like you know okay we need to have like white racist male characters let's get a bunch of rat faces in here (laughs) and uh and let him let him run wild and uh, so, uh, and he is that. But the thing that's really remarkable about Will Poulter is that he has 
the most naturally evil eyebrows I've ever seen. Wow. So they start in the middle uh, as a dead line, just dead even line. And then each of them curves up in such a massive round arched way. Wow. And they just like are just like stop that. Stop recording and go look him up. They're like that all the time in this movie. They're never not. I'm just like, or do you literally, were you, were you born with eyebrows that naturally arch up in this like evil, hateful, menacing wow. way? Maybe they pluck them that way. I don't, but no, but like they, his eyebrows would have to be like an inch thick for them. Maybe for, that's for, the for, secret Will Boulder. For, for, for it to be a pluck job. <laughs> uh, I mean, it it, it is uncanny it's it's i i've never seen it it was remarkable remarkable wow. uh, uh casting for great eyebrow work from will poulter <laughs> uh in this movie so uh but you, you know, know who does eyebrows is uh who's taken up um eyebrows is um worked on this one probably to credit is uh <laughs> schmucky jones schmucky jones <laughs> well schmucky you know i mean he needs to keep working because uh you know he didn't get hired last week yeah. uh on uh, on dunkirk so okay. He had to, you know, make do somehow. So good on Schmucky. We're Keeps always cheering him on here at the binge. Uh, so uh, if this movie was about Stonewall, mm-hmm. would you feel any differently about it? Um, no, because I mean, I think Stonewall. If it was, because the problem with the Stonewall movie is that it just wasn't accurate. Yeah, let's not talk about the Stonewall movie. Okay. Let's talk about Catherine Rigolo doing this movie. The the, cl- the closest intersect you can come, except the characters are all gay people. Mm-hmm. Would you feel any differently about it? I mean, it's hard to say. I'd probably be like, you know, I'd feel some sense of, you know, responsibility for like, okay, like, you know, this is, I'm going to be harder on it because it's meant to reflect some piece of the history of my own culture. Mm-hmm. But I also am not, you know, I'm not like, it didn't happen to me. I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to be like, you know, too opinionated on it. Um, so this movie, I, yeah, so honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think I would feel differently. I think, you know, a historical travesty is a historical travesty. No, I mean, Stonewall wasn't a travesty. You know, Stonewall was a triumph. Right. Um, you know, this is a travesty. There's no justice served in this story. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I think my one my one thing I was thinking when I was watching it was that it may have worked a little better as like an FX limited series. It, just, oh, it has yeah. FX limited series written all over it. Um, and it's so, it feels really kind of ungainly as a narrative. It's two and a half hours long. Um, and they have this whole ensemble of different characters. I just feel like they would have had a lot more room to breathe and be impactful um, as like a limited series. I think that Catherine Bigelow and Mark Bull would have been well served to stand back and ask hmm. themselves, should this be a TV show? Uh, because as we all know, a lot of the best work is being done on TV now. Um, yeah. So yeah. it could have been, um, yeah, I think it could have benefited from more space and time and the breath that you get as a TV show. So, and you know, in general, this is just, this movie is a hard sell with the world being the way it is right now. Yeah. Like, no one wants to experience this. Uh, but unfortunately, given the fact that our president recently stood in front of a mm-hmm. group of police officers and literally asked for more police brutality, please. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. We need to... Unbelievable. It's Then we need to look back in movies like Detroit and see where that leads. Would you agree with someone who called this movie the unfunny get out? Um, no, that I mean, person was me. <laughs> You're like, did you not see my tweet? <laughs> I know you didn't like it. I thought maybe you saw it. Um, n- I mean, no, I mean, because like, you know, Get Out is about, you know, a black person being tricked into a white setting um, and then being well, preyed upon there. And this that's is called the North. And this is, <laughs> it's a giant, it's called it's Detroit. A, it's a giant meta, huge scale Get Out. 
Um, but no, uh, it, you know, not not so much. But well, one one interesting factoid though from this is that two of the men who were present for the um, for this this incident, this interrogation, two of the men who were being interrogated, only one in the film, but two in real life, were members of the Dramatics. Oh. Uh, and then you know, one as depicted in this film was actually the lead singer. And then um, after what he endured uh, that night, he left the group and went and became a, the director of, uh, of a church music program. Mm. Um, so, uh, so this is you know this is a real intersection of this you know hugely successful '70s R&B group mm-hmm. um, that had this you know very horrible thing overlap with their time in Detroit uh, in 1967. And also, you know, 67, of course, here in San Francisco is trending because, you know, it was a summer of love and it's the 50th anniversary of that. So it's just funny as like what white nonsense the summer of love was compared to like what like black people were experiencing in Detroit. Yeah. And the exact, literally the same summer because it was July that this happened, that the Algiers Motel incident happened. On the other side of the world, you have Joan Didion sitting in an apartment at night talking about all but we'll talk more about her in our Ingrid Goes West review. We will. That'll be exciting. <laughs> um, what do you give this movie? Uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and give it a binge it. Uh, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, it, it has its flaws, but ultimately I think it, that uh, it's an important piece of work uh, that, you know, chronicles a chapter of history that I had not heard about. And of course, it's, mm-hmm. it's not, and sadly, not unique or unusual or surprising that this happened. Um, or but, that we don't but, know about it or that we don't know about it but all the same like you know the we you know it's like you know say their names like you know these were three other men who uh you know who were gunned down while they were unarmed and uh and justice was never served and so i think that these stories have to be told absolutely uh detroit is out now and it's rated r for strong violence and pervasive language and that brings us to our second movie which is an inconvenient sequel truth to power a sequel to the inconvenient truth The follow-up documentary addresses the progress made to tackle the problem of climate change and Al Gore's global efforts to persuade governmental leaders to invest in renewable energy, culminating in the landmark signing of 2016's Paris Climate Agreement. The next generation would be justified in looking back at us and asking, what were you thinking? Couldn't you hear what the scientists were saying? Couldn't you hear what Mother Nature was screaming at you? This movement is in the tradition of every great movement that has advanced humankind. We're not going to recognize it. We don't want to discuss it. It is right to save humanity. It is wrong to pollute this earth. It is right to give hope to the future generation. Is this one of those movies where you have to see the first one, or is it actually good that this one exists if you didn't see the first one because you're now you just you're you're just all caught up? It's basically just an update to the first one. Mm. Uh, it basically uh, it's literally the exact same. So the first movie played out uh, as like a cinematic expansion of this PowerPoint presentation Al Gore was going around making to rooms full of people around the world. So many of my work presentations would be better better presented as a full-length movie. Like, let's make that movie. Right? We'd say content strategy, the movie. Ooh, mm-hmm. I smell it. Yeah. I'm just saying. Maybe even a franchise. Coming soon to a theater near you. I mean, if this can get a sequel, geez, what can't? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it is, you know, the first movie was an expansion of his PowerPoint presentation, and then this is him giving that same presentation, but updated. So it really is, in every sense, an update to the first movie, but things have gotten worse uh, mm-hmm. since the first movie. So it is an update that is uh, worth hearing and uh, worth considering. It doesn't make much of a movie, 
Um, but you know, it is something that you know you shouldn't need cinematic fireworks to get people to care about and watch and listen sure. to, since it concerns us all. We uh, pulled out of the Paris Agreement yes. recently. Is that covered here? Um, it it, it is. Uh, and so so much of the movie, so much of the movie is spent on the work that that uh that Al Gore did behind the scenes to make the Paris Accord mm. a reality. And so in that way, it feels like like a really like detailed, thorough documentary about like the making of the Titanic or the building, <laughs> the building of the Twin Towers or the making of the Hindenburg, uh, you know, just things where you're like, well, yeah, but I know how it ends, though, um, even though, as as we know, um, you know, basically the world leaders have said to our president, like, you, you, it's not a thing you can pull out of. <laughs> right. You can you can huff and puff all you want and please your base by being like, nah, we're not doing that. But it's still a thing that you are part of. Um, but uh, but it's definitely uh, that does cast a giant pall over the film in that sense, and also, and I didn't know this, but um, I guess the night that um, the night that Gore arrived in Paris and was like going to sort of like kick off the whole thing was the night of the shootings at the Bataclan. Oh, really? Yeah, um, wow. I, I did not know that, and so that's actually captured on camera here, uh, like Al Gore and his people standing around whenever word starts to come in that there's been this, you know, this this terrible mass shooting mm-hmm. in two different parts of Paris. Uh, so, uh, and that's a bad omen ultimately for the Paris mm. Accord. Not a good uh, sign. Not a good sign at all, as it turns out. But uh, and they do by the end, they do have, um, you know, they have they show Gore learning of of the election. And um, it gives him about, you know, about 10 or 15 seconds to be like, oh, well, shucks, um, <laughs> before he just p- does his usual Al Gore, Southern boy, well, time to roll up our sleeves and get to work uh, <laughs> thing again. And, uh, and at the end of the film, there's a title screen that's like, if our president won't lead, then we will. And uh, basically just being like, work around him, you know, yeah. like he's not going to lead on this issue. Uh, so it's up to all of us to, um, to be leaders on this issue. So I wonder if they had sort of the same issue that we were talking about earlier, the Rachel Maddow effect. If they're like, oh, we're trying to make this movie. Wait, don't yet. He might do something else. Wait, don't yet. Something else might change. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, uh, pushing for coal again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, this movie is everything in it is, is, you know, diametrically opposed to what our president and his administration says on these matters. And certainly the kinds of people that he's appointed to be in charge of things like the EPA, Mm -hmm. you know, indicates uh, his his complete sort of anarchist disregard. Uh, nihilist loathing of the subject, right. uh, which is all you know playing to the base. But so there is a sense where this film does feel um, irrelevant, uh, just because it does feel like okay, like things have gotten so much worse in such a short period of time since the majority of this was shot that like we need an immediate update on like the the, the clear and present danger. It just needs to be like a YouTube channel that like right. updates a video every week, constant live updates it's daily. So this, live streaming. So this you know this chronicles something happened this Paris Accord that now has been tainted uh, along with everything else and uh, and it does you know he just makes his case as always with you know thoroughly researched like here okay like you know that climate that global warming is a thing whenever every single year is the hottest year on on, on record. Mm-hmm. And that is true. That has been every year since the since the first movie has been the hottest year on, on record. So, you know, so he's building his case as usual. And, um, you know, the movie is as much about the environment and climate change as it is about Gore himself, which is kind of like, oh, eh, great. yeah, like he's not an interesting guy. Like, let's not focus so mm-hmm. much on him. We don't need to focus on Gore. Um, there are pieces of this movie that I'm not as crazy about, uh, starting with the name Truth to Power. 
Yeah. Because first yeah. of all, liberal cliches don't get any any worse than, right. than speaking truth to power. And also, again, irrelevant. Because when your power literally doesn't recognize truth... <laughs> Then, then there's no more yeah, power like to that equation. To ignorance, I don't even know what that. It, there's nothing. I actually don't understand the phrase "truth to power." To be honest, I mean, I think it's yeah, it's like a suggestion that truth, in and of itself, it has enough power. Like the so, if someone's speaking powerful, truth to truth, the truth to, shall set you free. Truth to truth, like they're saying truth to a pop or a truth becomes power. I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I've said it, but I don't get yeah. it. Thing. <laughs> Look, I've yelled it a number of times. Really, I'm only usually at, usually at work meetings. <laughs> Um, and sometimes during intercourse, but, uh, no, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, fucking so, peeping. It's so gotta I, stop. I'm sorry. I'm always just like, did you post the episode yet? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so it is, uh, it's a, a stupid saying and <laughs> I'll just say that and it's no longer is relevant. It yeah. does not work in our, with our current leadership because they do not recognize or acknowledge truth. And, um, you know, the truth has been, as we all have seen happen, you know, wildly uh, undermined and perverted and distorted, uh, you know, alternative facts and whatnot. We all know what we're talking about. And it, uh, so when I saw this movie, it was at a special screening at the Castro Theater and the filmmakers and Al Gore were in attendance. And, um, and it was such a preaching to the choir moment yeah. uh, to the point where like, it was, you know, since 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 the the sort of the, the the driving ethos of today's conservative movement is to just make liberals as furious as possible, like they would have been like wetting their pants watching the way this audience reacted, um, because he you knows audience of people at a at a big theater in San Francisco and the Castro just impotently hissing every time that Trump was on screen. Oh, wow. Um, you know, this the famous Castro hiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Been victim to it. <laughs> I told you you shouldn't have worn that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, and I've seen many things hissed over the years at the Castro Theater from things like Deserve It, like Trump, to um, randomly the entrance of Shia LaBeouf in the last Indiana Jones film. Really? Yeah, they played that first run at the Castro, and Scott and I went to go see it opening weekend. And when he makes his entrance, dressed like Marlon Brando from The Wild Ones, suddenly there were these like two <laughs> or three people who were like, Really? I'm like, what poor Shia LaBeouf do to you? This was long before his legal troubles. So at mm. the time, he was just a fresh-faced little guy. So um, that was strange. But so the, the, the just impotent hissing, incessant impotent hissing at, at Trump every time he was on screen. Um, and then every time Obama was so much as mentioned, applause. Oh, man. And not just applause for Obama, applause for Angela Merkel, applause <laughs> applause, and frenzied masturbation for Justin Trudeau. Well, um, justified. Yeah. Uh, so it was just, it was, it was, and I was sitting next to our friend Ingu. Um, and oh, she, it friend was, of the show. And she had never um, experienced any of that at the caster before. And so every time a reaction like that happened, she just looked at me just agog. Like, she didn't jump right on the hissing? Uh, no. Hmm. She, um, she was, the hissing, she was very, I think she was tickled. She was like, what do these people <laughs> think they're accomplishing? Uh, so, yeah. See, I guess that leads right into my question, which is like, say you're a person who is fully aware of the fact that global warming is an issue mm-hmm. and that there is, um, you know, possibly some things, you have a vague idea of the things you could do about it uh, in terms of the way you uh, deal with your life and then the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the phone calls you make and the money that you send. Is this worth it? I don't know. I feel like if you if you already know it's an issue, what's the point of watching this movie? It's not like, am I going to learn something? Or Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, so the first movie um, was 
intended to be more of a recruiting um, new members to mm. uh, to the cause, getting everyone because you know it was still a relatively new concept. Certainly not one yeah. that was as ubiquitous as it is today when the first film came out, and uh, now. The second film feels like it's a lot more about rallying the troops. Mm. Um, everyone's beleaguered, mm-hmm. and so we'll just bring out you know the leader of the movement, uh, such as you know, so to speak, and have him just try to get everyone like, okay, well, you know, like we're we're up against, we're stacked, the odds are stacked against us, but we are still all here, and we all have power as individual people to affect change. So let's all keep up the good work and just not let this, not let the president stop us from working so it was like a team offsite after a reorg <laughs> yes gotcha 100 percent team offsite after reorg like guys i know that there's are there are fears and, and we're not sure about why that person was ousted <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know and we all lost some people that we loved in the firings but here we are and it's a new day mm-hmm. let's go um, to the santa cruz beach boardwalk <laughs> your offsides are nicer than mine <laughs> uh so yeah so it you know it is very much that movie and uh Although, like, I don't know about you, but like when it comes to the subject of like what can be done about climate change, mm. I'm a pessimist. Out of my hands. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, like I've learned to recycle recently, which has been a big step. Ooh, um, look at yeah. you. I mean, not super recently, not like this week, but you know, last week. Uh, yeah, about two or three weeks. <laughs> I like no every day though. I sit at work and like I th- go to throw something away, and there's the recycled compost, you know, regular trash. Uh-huh. And I sit there with almost everything I have, even though I eat or drink the same thing every day, and I'm like, ah, ah, yeah. And there's not like and a consultant there to be like warm, warm or cold, photos, cold. There are photos of literally everything they have in the kitchen and what moss it falls into. But a lot of things are the same color or shape. I don't I know. I know, I know. Old but I'm dog, learning. Old I'm dog learning. new tricks, but good for you for learning it. I mean, you know, my, my point of view. I'm going to drink glass things because so I, I know exactly yeah. where glass mm-hmm. belongs. And there's that satisfying clink when you drop it in there. <laughs> um, yeah, my, my thoughts on the whole thing is that the ship's going down no matter what. Mm. And um, you can. The question is, how many holes do you try to plug to delay the going down of the ship? Mm. Because you can't plug all the holes because there's just too many. Yeah. Um, and water's gonna be getting in no matter what. Uh, so uh, I, I am not. Uh, I was not super galvanized. Especially because, you know, living where we live, you know, we live in a city that has like, you know, pretty intense green restrictions. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like, you know, like I, you know, I, as someone who, you know, doesn't drive and da, 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 you know, I feel like my carbon, carbon footprint is low and whatever. So I've pat myself on the back plenty about how little I'm doing personally to make the world worse. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, I'm just, it is, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a, it's kind of a mediocre documentary all in all, uh, not just for being a, you know, um, a choir preacher uh there is also so i had to keep reminding myself so at the beginning of the film he gore goes to uh like antarctica and to iceland and is you know looking at the glaciers melting mm. and so there's all this footage of like of you know blue ice water cascading down uh icebergs and i was all, so pretty i know i was like Ooh! <laughs> i'm like i should go visit oh right this is this is the, the end of the world that's what that is um, so I'm going to assume you're not going to give this a binge it. No, it's a consumer moderation. You know, I mean, like, I, I don't even know, like watching it, I think about, you know, people who I know who, you know, don't uh, necessarily believe that this is a real thing. And I'm like, would this convince them? No, probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, it's just kind of the thing. It's one of those things where 
it's it i don't know how the environment became politicized like mm. you would think since it affects all of us that we'd all be equally concerned you would think um but then business interests come into play and that's where the divide happens mm-hmm. so um but yeah i mean i think you know and it's not gonna say anything to us that we don't already know but if you want a refresher or if you're especially passionate about this cause um then al gore is ready to give you a little hug through uh through the experience of watching this movie an inconvenient sequel Truth to Power is rated PG for thematic elements and some troubling images. Um, is that are there animals in peril? Um, there's not as much. I think it's actually more um, because there there have been so many like giant uh, floods and fires and stuff oh, in the last yeah. eleven mm-hmm. years. So I'm like, you're like, oh, it's people. Pfft, okay, moving on. Yeah, uh, to our third movie of the week, Step, which is our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of the week. week. The senior year of a girls' high school step team in inner-city Baltimore is documented as they try to become the first in their families to attend college. The girls strive to make their dancing a success against the backdrop of social unrest. Baltimore City. They come home to no lights, not having food in the refrigerator, not having a refrigerator at all. But when they come to step practice, all of those things are erased out of their mind. So they can make it through life. You up there screaming and yelling and you just stepping. We making music with our bodies. So this week we had one dramatization of a real event and two documentaries. Yep. It's all reality for you this week, guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, people. So much for uh, so much for lighthearted summer fair. <laughs> not this time. Not on our watch. Mm-mm. And it's not that we made these movies come out in August. It's just how things are going no, this we month. Did it. We did our best to get them to come out in September. We did. We nobody did. We listens failed. to us. No. Um. This movie is the pick of the week. Yes, it is. Um. This is another documentary about a situation where people are doing the best with what they have. Um. Yes. Possibly a story of um. Uh, some some people who are really motivated to make change in the way that you can make change, kind of as the opposite of an inconvenient truth where it feels like there's nothing you can do. Here you have a group of people who are doing things, feet on the ground, helping um, you know their society and their community uh, be better. Mm-hmm. Um, is that uh, is that all? Is there anything else you want to add? Or are we done? <laughs> I didn't even see the movie. So uh, yeah, so this movie is about yeah, it's the founding class of a Baltimore charter school, the Baltimore Leadership School for Young Women, which is a grade six through twelve uh, school, and they have a goal of a hundred percent college admission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this uh, this group of young women that we meet in this film, there's uh, there's there's three. There is Blessin, Corey, and Taylor. And they're all seniors, and they were all in that founding class of this school. And so now uh, it's their senior year, and we have sort of two different storylines that we're following along with. Um, Big picture, um, the question of whether... uh, So they've never won um, the championship at First Step, and so we're hoping in that kind of classic sort of behind-the-scenes kind of way, like, oh, win the championship, win the championship. And also we're following uh, each of these women as they work on attempting to get into college mm. and the ups and downs of, of that journey. And through that, we also and we also meet their their mothers. Uh, we meet the, the coach of the team. Uh, we meet the guidance counselor who is working day and night to try to get these women the financial assistance they need to get them into a college, um, working with them on their grades to get them good enough to get into a college. Uh, you know, so we see just this full village, you know, that it takes to try to help lift these young women out of Baltimore. Um, you know, not that Baltimore itself is the problem, 
but mm. their circumstances in Baltimore are dire. Mm-hmm. And um, and these three young women, you just get to know them you know, to varying degrees. Some are more forthcoming for the camera than others, but um, by the end, you feel like you feel you look at them and you feel the way that their their guidance counselor does. You feel the way that their moms do because you just like you care about them, and they're mm-hmm. they're getting this moment, this crossroads in their lives that will determine much of what will happen in the rest of their lives. And you're just so you care so much by the end. Uh, and this is a movie that this and is then a, a big flood comes and then um, whoopsie daisy. Um, and uh, but you know at least they tried. And this is a feel good documentary. Uh, it is, but it's a movie. It's a documentary that earns every single smile it gives you. Mm. Um, the, the spirit of um, of every woman in this story, young and a young and adult alike, is so infectious. Uh, and uh, and you just you you just fall in love. You fall in love with everyone on screen, but it's also not simplistic. In the way that portrays them, hmm. um, you know, yeah, it, it seems it, like it would be a challenge. It lends, you know, shading and complexity to these young women, um, and uh, in particular, so sort of the shining star of the bunch is this young woman, Blessin, who is who is gorgeous and effervescent, and she's the she's the founding, uh, she's the founder of the team of the step team, hmm. um, and um, you know, and so we when we meet her, it seems like she has everything you know going perfectly for herself. Um, and you know, we know her grades are bad, but we're like, okay, well, you know, she'll turn that around. She said she's going to turn it around and we just watch her. We, we see her home life. Her mother struggles with depression and we see, you know, Blessings start to kind of fall into that hole herself over the course of the year. And it's really, it's gripping and, and poignant to watch. Uh, and, uh, so you, you feel that personal connection to, to everyone that you see in this movie. And, you know, it's really just sort of like a portrait of young black American womanhood at the end of the Obama era. Mm. Uh, you know, so in that way, similar to Inconvenient Sequel, it is also kind of like, oh, well, that's all fucked. Right. Um, right. They, just because just this week they were talking about um, what the Department of Justice investigating uh, affirmative action. Oh, yeah. They're going to. Yeah. They're going to start suing colleges yeah. that use affirmative action or where there's evidence that white people have been, quote, discriminated against. My God. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, well, that's all fucked now. I'm like, let's let's. You Can know, we let's... just one more time? Because last week was it? Last week we were talking about the the trans and the military mm-hmm. and the and the and the gay uh, DOG thing. Everyone who said that this wasn't about race, people who vote for Trump weren't doing it because they are racist or homophobic. We're. It's very clear now that that's a fucking lie, right? Well, I think that what's clear is that Trump thinks of his base a certain way and he thinks this is what they want and he certainly has reasons to think that so i think he's just trying to he's just trying to everything with him is just he's just trying to score political points with his base um you know because he knows he i he mean won, the base he wants to get isn't, reelected isn't and, i haven't heard any um uh, fighting back saying that this is not what we want mm-hmm. um right the people who are uh, speaking up against these things are the people who were against trump to begin with so right. i feel like it's uh it's pretty clear that that that, that was uh yeah it all was a lie yeah, if if there if if there is some sort of like mounting insurgence uh, of of former Trump supporters who have turned against him, they don't seem to have gone very public with that. I think they're probably quietly hiding their heads in shame mm. and uh, and not speaking out about that. But I mean, yeah, between that and the merit based immigration thing, mm-hmm. oh my god. Anyway, yeah. anyway, we, um, we back to this feel good documentary. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah. So I mean, like it really captures a point in time because it was shot 
uh, over the course of 2016. Oh. Um, and it actually ends with them graduating in, I guess, probably June 2016. So um, so the world was still, it still had hope. Still did. Um, and uh, so that really comes through here. And it really, you know, it effectively portrays the intersection of race, class, and gender in a way that I think mm. that it helps viewers who maybe are not super familiar with those concepts to grasp it. Yeah. Because every single one of those factors comes into play because these are, these are impoverished black women. Um, and, uh, so, uh, and we, we see, you know, we have to watch them, you know, some of them go to bed, like without dinner sometimes, or, you know, like, or or the power got shut off. So I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, uh, do my homework or, Mm. um, you know, it's, it shows you every bit of that. And it is also in the, it's in Baltimore in the aftermath of Freddie Gray. Oh, right. And, uh, so, you know, there's a scene where they go and visit a mural that was made uh, in his memory. And, uh, but the, but the young women are not, they themselves, they actually, they, they defend Baltimore. Um, you know, they actually, in one part, they criticize CNN. I'm like, oh, CNN can't win for losing. <laughs> um, they criticize CNN for its depiction of Baltimore during the riots after Freddie Gray. Mm, verdict, the, during the rebellion? During the rebellion. And, uh, and they, uh, are just like, yeah, on CNN, it made Baltimore look like it was just like all this violent rioting. And that's just not the Baltimore that we know. Like, you know, that we, we, we saw people helping people and people like, you know, they're just, that's not, you know, and I think CNN, I don't know why it's always CNN that gets laid to their doorstep, maybe because they're the only one that's like trying to be like, we're like the middle ground. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, they're like, oh, we're the most mainstream cable news network. And yeah. so they get everything tossed at them. But uh, but yeah, so they they take they take issue. They are they love their hometown, um, but they also want very much to get out of their circumstances um, and to have more in their lives. And when you watch, you want that for them too. Um, you're giving this movie a binge it. Um, yes, I assume I loved watching this movie so much. I I this is this is this is you know definitely like chicken soup for the soul right now. Uh, this is a movie that I think will cheer up anyone, no matter how bleak you're feeling about the world. Uh, it is it is supremely buoyant uh, and vital, and uh, like I, yeah, I just had the best time watching this movie. And uh, so I highly, highly recommend that you hunt down uh, Step to watch. Is it a uh, video on demand or is it no, a, in it's, theaters? It's Step in theaters. Release? Yeah, so it's already in New York and LA, and then as of this week, it'll be in um, in all the cities in the next tier below that, so San Francisco and the like. Um, Step is rated PG for thematic elements and some language, and that's it. That's it. That's it for us this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, if you are so inclined, please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Um, Jason is on Twitter at Excess Package. I am at Fight Balance. And thank you so much for listening. Back guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.